In today's world, the need for creativity, innovation, and togetherness are at an all-time high. Join me as we dive inside the minds of some of the dopest individuals from NC. Join me inside the lab. What's going on? This is Vonnie Bristow. You call this a lot, DJ TM. What's good? It's Chino G, the God Child. It's your girl, Sierra Danielle. Yo, what up? It's your boy, DJ Diesel. You locked inside the lab. Inside the lab. Inside the lab with my boy, Jay Trinity. What is going on, everybody? What is going on? Uh, this is your host, Jay Trinity. And uh just want to welcome you to the Inside the Lab podcast, Inside Special. Uh, with everything going on in our community, I felt that it was important to use this platform to help further the dialogue on the state of our community and some ways that we can move forward. Uh, last week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a former fellow choir member of mine, Chris J. Suggs. Uh, he was born and raised in Kinston, North Carolina, and the 20-year-old has made strides at making a lasting difference in our hometown and beyond. Uh, since 2014, Chris has served as the founder and CEO of Kinston Teens, a nonprofit org focused on youth empowerment and community development. Uh, in addition to his work with Kinston Teens, since 2016, Chris has served as the youngest commissioner on the North Carolina Governor's Crime Commission. Chris has also worked with and been featured by platforms including Nickelodeon, The Huffington Post, Teen Vogue Magazine, Facebook, and First Lady Michelle Obama. Chris is currently a student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, majoring in political science and religious studies, where he serves as a senior class president and president of the UNC Black Student Movement. So without any further ado, man, what's going on, Chris? Uh, what's up? How you doing? Not much, not much. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Man, nah, thank you. Thank you. You've been really in the trenches with a lot of stuff in the community, so I really just want to open up the floor to you about everything going on. Okay, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting time to be alive. Like, you know, what a time to be alive. And when I think of all that is happening in the world, like we're really in the midst of the global unrest because this movement has you know spread even outside of America. So a global movement advocating for black lives to matter mm -hmm. in the midst of a, a global crisis caused by this pandemic. So, you know, we're fighting for our lives and risking our lives in yeah. one way or the other. And it, it's crazy. Um, there's so many feelings, you know, um, combined with, you know, being a college student right now, you know, having your school year in in just such a crazy way. Um, so many people dying, having so much uncertainty and insecurity about your jobs or housing right. and all of that. So it's truly a crazy time to be alive. But um, I'm actually in the midst of all this craziness. I think, you know, what, uh, even though what an unfortunate time, what a better time for us to finally move this world in the direction that we want to move in. And mm. I think that's what you're seeing in all of the uprising in response to the COVID-19 crisis and in the Black Lives Matter movement is that we're finally saying enough is enough and we yeah. need to do better. Yeah, man. Look, I know this reference is going to sound crazy. It's going to sound crazy. Like, I put this out of nowhere. Have you ever watched Game of Thrones? Mm -hmm. Can you hear um, me? I've never watched Game of Thrones. Like, I just, I can never really get into it. Okay. I, I asked because there's a character on the show, and he has this uh, mantra that he lives by, and it's uh, chaos is a ladder. It's chaos is a ladder. And... He he used it for more nefarious reasons, but I feel like in real life, when right now, like you were saying, we're in the midst of all of this stuff, and we and 
I feel like we all could come together to use this moment as a ladder to kind of advance what we need to, man. So, yeah, Game of Thrones. Anyway, yeah, man. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, different um, opinions on, you know, the appropriate way to handle certain things, to handle, you know, uh, you know, there's the, the police uh, defunding um, push. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there floating around. And um, I wanted to get your opinion on different types of, uh, you know, legislation or initiatives or efforts in general that you would like to see moving forward. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, the movement to defund the police, even movements to abolish the police have really been picking up steam in these last few weeks. And, you know, and it's one, you know, one thing to notice is that, you know, these aren't entirely new movements. These are things that some organizers and people in our communities have been advocating for for years and decades. But I think the death of the killing of George Floyd really woke up America to a lot of the injustices. And now this movement is picking up a lot of steam. And I wouldn't say that it's something that's too far off or it should be considered like too radical. I think it's actually a, a logical thing for us to consider because mm. like I was saying uh, earlier, you know, this this unrest and this chaos and uncertainty in the world, we're never going to return back to normal. You know, so many people are, you know, saying they can't wait for things to get back to normal. They can't wait for, for outside to open back up and to go back to barbershops and hair salons. Like, I want to do all that stuff. I want to get back to getting my hair cut in the barbershop and everything. But also I realized that now, you know, we're never going to return to normal. So while we're in this period of uncertainty and chaos, we need to be using it to reimagine about, you know, what society mm. could really look like. What should policing in our communities look like? And what yeah. is policing in our communities currently doing? Because it's obviously not working if we're continuing to end up in situations that lead to the tragic deaths of individuals like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So, um, you know, that funding the police movement is something that I think I can personally get behind because what we really need to do is look at our police budgets and, re and realize, you know, why and even, you know, struggling poor communities like our hometown of Kenton, North Carolina, does 29% of our taxpayer dollars go to policing, but only 1% of our taxpayer dollars go to community development. Um, the same in you know, major, major cities like New York City, why are they spending billions and billions and billions of dollars a year that them cutting $1 billion from their police budget won't even hurt them? So mm. you know, it's so important for us to realize, you know, mm. what can we do to actually address some of the systemic causes of our communities? You know, why are people going to crime in the first place? Why do we feel the need to have police on our streets so heavily? Why yeah. aren't we addressing those issues rather than just trying to spend more and more money on police man that was a who okay i know initially when i heard the term defund uh defund the, po the police i was like okay what does that actually mean i know a lot of people mm -hmm. uh took that one thing as completely completely just abolishing police as a whole and something that you said that was really um important to me was that before that step could really even be Look, that it's like the fact that you're saying that this the allocation of funds, um, is so drastic. I mean, you said and you said in Lenore County it was what tw you said 29. How much did you say? What was the percentage? 29 percent to yeah, 29 percent towards policing and one percent towards community development. That's okay. Who, who do you know who determines this budget? Yeah, so um, this budget is come up with by our mayor, city council members, and the city manager. Mm -hmm. Got you. And those are all elected yeah. positions? Yeah, the so. city council and mayor are elected. The city manager works for the city council and the mayor. Boom. And Yeah, so yeah, it's... Go ahead. No, you got it, man. And you got Oh, yeah, it. yeah. So, um, you know, that's why it's so important for citizens to even look at budgets and things like that. Because 
Um, so this period right now, this May, June, July period is when cities all across our country are, you know, examining their city budgets because most budgets actually go into effect at the beginning of July. That's the right, beginning of the, the business or the, the government um, fiscal year. So like right now, city councils and mayors and county commissioners and school boards all across this country are examining their school boards, which is really, you know, fortunate for us, a, a usually public process. So they have to make the proposed budget open to the public. They have to make it um, open to public hearings and things like that. So we as citizens, you know, have to get involved in those processes and look at those budgets. So um, right. even last night, that's what I did. I spent my night looking at the city of Kenton's budget. And that's what made me come to that realization that right. we need to really, you know, reimagine and reevaluate where we spend so much of our money in, um, right. even in our hometown man i think i think that's amazing because like just you know i i, I don't I, i've never considered myself like you know highly politically active or aware but it was like the that information in my opinion while i know it's public information right it's kind of that i feel like in in everyday life that's kind of like the fine print you know what i'm saying like that's the fine yeah. print at the bottom mm -hmm. of the thing that people kind of they don't really look at so um, I, I think it's good to put that attention there and then, you know, maybe even come up with some creative ways to get that info to people um, outside of them having to go read the five, the, uh, the, um, the fine print. Um, cool, man. Uh, so in the past six years, uh, man, that's a long time. Uh, Kansas Teens has, uh, you know, y'all have developed a lot of different initiatives, um, you know, down in Lenore County and, uh, is there any specific uh, one or two? Man, how many you ever want really? That you uh, initiatives that you want to highlight that you all do currently in the community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know, Kinston Teens does a lot, and you know, it's um, a good thing and a, a, a bad thing. You know, I think it speaks to the amount of issues that we have to address in our local area. Mm -hmm. But you know, something I'm so proud of is that you know when I started this organization almost six years ago now. Um, it was mainly in response to gun violence. That was the really major issue going on in Kenston. You know, um, I realized that so many young people, people, you know, my age were shooting someone or getting shot. You know, people I knew as, you know, friends or classmates, people from school. It was just such a prevalent issue. And I feel like no one in our community, not our police department, our city council, anybody was really doing anything to address the issues, yeah. um, especially when it comes to just how prevalent this issue was affecting young people. So, you yeah. know, that's why I initially started the organization. But in these five and a half years now, we've transpired and, you know, and have put our hands on so many different areas when it comes to community development, starting mentoring programs at some of our local schools, um, you know, doing really heavily voter registration, voter engagement, making sure that people of all ages, but especially young people are actively involved in our city council elections and in our local, state and federal elections. So, yeah, there's so many places we have our hands, you know, in right, even right now. Um, and, you know, I will say, you know, some and I'm so proud about this group of young people that, you know, we've organized with kids and teens is that when, you know, crisis hit, crises hit, we respond, respond immediately in our community. So, yeah. um, you know, Kenton is located in eastern North Carolina. We get hit by hurricanes quite often. And, you know, you see young people from Kenton teens and other organizations we partner with right there on the front lines, responding to the needs of our community, helping people evacuate, helping people get food and things like that. Um, when the COVID-19 crisis hit back in March, we immediately started determining ways that we can really address the needs of our community. And that's what we've done these last, what, two and a half, three months now is really yeah. figure out what are the greatest needs in our community and how can we organize young people around those issues. And um, that's what we've been doing lately. Man. Hey, man, look, that I, I, I think that is really amazing. For real, dude. I really do. With all of those uh, efforts that you all have um, that you all have put in over the years. 
what do you feel are like some constructive ways uh, that Kenston teens can like continue to support and in, uh, in, in its advancement? Like with the issues that are going on right now, what is kind of some some areas that you feel like you all could help? You know, spe- specifically right there in uh, Illinois County. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, a lot of my, my focus as a leader of both our organization and my leader, my leadership personally is, you know, address, continuously addressing the needs of my community. So, um, you know, I think as leaders, we can't just get so focused on whatever our mission that we started with is, but realizing that, you know, the needs of your community, the needs that you might be trying to serve and address are going to constantly change and shift. Um, so, you know, being really responsive in your community, um, acknowledging that, you know, some needs may be exacerbated by certain crises, crises like a hurricane or the COVID-19 crisis, or, you know, or some needs just may change because there are now some resources flowing in a certain direction. So, you know, something that I try to instill in other young people involved in Kansas and teens or whenever I get to speak to other people in our community is that, you know, we have to be really sure that we're engaging with our community. Um, I stress this, you know, my mom's a city councilwoman in Kenton. Um, you know, I work really close with, you know, different elected officials in Kenton and Lenore County. And sometimes I stress to them is that, you know, even once you get in office, we need you to still be involved on the ground in the community mm-hmm. so you can constantly hear whether, what are the needs of your constituents. So, you know, that's my encouragement. And that's where I see Kenton teens really being, um, uh, having a, a really strong base in our community by is us constantly, you know, evaluating what can we do to help our community by doing surveys, by going door to door, having real meaningful conversations with people in the community. So, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we have our hands in so many different areas is because we realize that the needs are so sporadic, are so dynamic and are spread out that, you know, as community organizers, we have to constantly be assessing those needs. And um, something that, something else is developing more organizers and activists and leaders to respond to the issues too. So. Um, that's been a huge focus of mine, at least the last two years, is making sure that um, I'm training more people. So not only is Kenton teams doing the work, we're also hosting like voter registration and voter engagement training. So oh, wow. not only do you see young people from our organization out registering voters, but you now see organizations that we've trained and church members that we've trained to go out and knock on doors and get people registered to vote too. So um, it's not just about us being leaders and responding to the needs, but really organizing your community and making sure they're equipped with the tools and the resources and the skills to make change happen too. Man. Okay. All right. So, hey, look, I keep having to pause because you're giving me these amazing answers. So I'm just like, okay, <laughs> how you even follow up? Uh, man. Okay. So, yeah. So you mentioned the voter registration. You mentioned that. So I'm gonna go ahead and dive into that, man. If if I if I did my math correctly, and I might have done it wrong, mm-hmm. this is the first <laughs> year that you can actually participate. Yeah. In the general presidential election, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy right. man, that is crazy. That is crazy mm-hmm. man. The fact that anyway, but how how do you feel about that? Uh, feel about uh, you know, just the opportunity to to vote, and then what did uh, what is your like your advice on other first time NC voters? Yeah. Um. So when it comes to this year's presidential election, you know. I'm, I'm huge on voting. I'm huge on, you know, getting people registered to vote, making sure people know who's on the ballot, making sure people actually cast their ballots on election day. So, you know, that's been my passion. Even before I was old enough to vote myself, I was out helping people register that's to amazing. vote, working at polls and things like that. So, you know, I can't say just how disappointed I am about this November election, you know, particularly the presidential election. Uh, it was a really disappointing primary back in March, you know, having to choose between 
um, the, the candidates that we had, some of them just not being in the right place, especially a lot of the front runners. Um, and then, you know, now this November, I can't necessarily say that I'm really excited to vote um, for Joe Biden, who's the Democratic nominee. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's this really, really unfortunate. So, um, you know, I'm still going to vote regardless. But a lot of my energy, you know, in the months leading up to November, you know, a lot of my encouragement to other people, especially first time voters or anybody voting in November, is to really focus on those local and state elections that might not get all the major attention. Now, you know, we need to absolutely get Donald Trump out of the White House. He is a disgrace to this country, a disgrace to the White House, a disgrace to the office. But, you know, Donald Trump isn't necessarily the whole problem. You know, he's just a symptom of a whole lot of bigger issues happening mm-hmm. all across this country at the local, state, and federal level. So we need to make sure that we're voting good people in to our school boards, as our district attorneys, as our judges, as our county commissioners, as our state auditors and, and you know, general assembly members. We need to make sure we're voting in good people at all those different levels. So... You might not see me post much about the presidential election, but, you know, you will see me encouraging other people to get involved in those local and state races because those are really the the change makers. You know, like like we just talked about with policing and our city council budgets, you know, the the people you who you elect in your local level are the ones who really have a major impact on your everyday lives. So, um, you know, I might not comment so much on the presidential election because I'm unfortunately just disappointed that, you know, Joe Biden has still been just very moderate and conservative on so many issues that, you know, right now is evidenced by this COVID-19 crisis, evidenced by the, the unrest around police brutality and police mm-hmm. violence. We really need some radical change. We really need some progressive leadership and change from our White House, from all of the government. So right. I'm disappointed that we just haven't got him in that right direction yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we still have to push him. We still have to push all of our local local and state officials as well to be be the people we want them to represent us out. I got you. Hey, man, look, do you uh, what? And I, and I do what do you what do you make of the fact that that uh, his run a running mate hasn't been announced for him yet? What what do you make of that? That's just, I just I find it interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, I will say now isn't necessarily too late or anything. You know, most of the time it's around this time of year. I think when previous nominees have announced their their running mate, because usually the Democratic National Convention is around June, right. um, July, August at the latest. So. Um, I think around this time, it's it's coming up time for him to announce it, especially the fact that he's been the presidential nominee since March. So we know he's going to be our Democratic presidential nominee. So if he really wants to win this this thing, it's time for him to announce the vice president and really get active in our communities campaigning or doing virtual campaigning, whatever he has to do to reach people so that people know who you are, what your message is who your who your team is and what you plan to do if you get in the White House come November. So um, it's definitely time for him to you know announce a VP, and I hope that he chooses someone who's going to be a progressive leader that a leader who can really reach down into marginalized communities and represent marginalized communities too. Man, you got you you got any names I should keep an eye out for? Because I I I'm not I'm not <laughs> here. Not really. We just gotta wait and see. Yeah, we got to wait to see because, like, I can't say the names that, you know, have been tossed out so far by his team, whether it's, you know, um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, or um, Amy Klobuchar, the Minnesota senator. Um, I can't say I'm excited about either of them. I know Stacey Abrams have been, you know, a potential pick for vice president. And um, Stacey has, you know, at least during her run for governor, she really made me excited about, you know, her political potential. So, um, you know, she might be someone I'm interested in. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's up in the air. I think from both his campaign as well as you know our speculation about who might be the VP. Man, hey Chris, look, man, I gotta tell you something, bro. 
I gotta get like you when I grow up, man. Cause you, I'm for real. Cause you, you were naming these people how how folks normally be naming the uh, the NBA players on the team, man. Like you calling out. I'm telling you, man. That's that's that's, that's dope for real. Uh, Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, man. So I know we talked we talked a lot about a lot of political stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. far, I want to go back into some of the things that you've been doing. Um, specifically at Chapel Hill, man. That's because first. Yeah. Chapel Hill, that's dope. And your sister in there too. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so f- first, I, the one that stand out to me the most is the the Black Student Movement at UNC, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I did. Yeah. I went. To, I went to Winston Salem State, so I was. I'm not that familiar with any uh, of the uh, student organizations at um, mm-hmm. Chapel Hill. So kind of like talk about what do you do? What does that organization do? And then like, what's your role? Right. So um, at UNC Chapel Hill, our Black Student Movement is, um, we call it our Black Student Movement, but most other universities, we call it like a Black Student Alliance or Black Student Union. So um, we call it our Black Student Movement because, you know, the movement indicates in its name the need for progression, the need for change. And mm-hmm. I think that's what our organization really stands for. So we're a collective of Black students and Black student groups, like our gospel choir, our acapella group, our dance group, um, all up under this umbrella organization. And, you know, last year I had the honor of serving as president of the organization for the 2019-2020 school year. Um, And I immediately got involved with this organization when I got to Carolina because I realized the need for me at a predominantly white institution for me to have a space where I could be around my people, you know, who have a a shared background, some shared experiences, and really make sure that I'm being represented at this university. Um, because, you know, I, I really love Carolina. I think it was a, a great choice for me to be at um, when it came to my college. So I wanted to make sure that I was comfortable, comfortable there and also that I was having a lasting impact on the university. And that's really what BSM has done. That's really what I've done as a leader in BSM. We've been on the forefront of the issues like the Silent Sam Confederate Monument um, that was on our campus that activists pulled down just a few years ago, but two years ago now. Um, so I'm wow. glad that that is no longer there. And we've been active in making sure that that Confederate Monument doesn't return back to our campus because unfortunately some of our university and state leadership were considering that. Um, also just advocating for things like more black students to be admitted into the university. Yeah. And then once we're there that we're supported and you know that our retention rates stay high because right now our retention and admission rates for black males like myself is actually very low. So yeah. it's really important that you know we have student leaders and community organizers that advocate for issues like that. And that's what I've done as president of the UNC black student movement. So. It's been a fun ride. Um, no, next year is my senior year. I won't be president anymore, but I'm still standing involved in the organization. And um, I just got elected senior class president. So that'll be the bulk of my time representing even more, you know, larger section of our university, entire senior class. So I'm excited about that. Man, that's awesome. Something you said made me think about an org I was in at Winston. It was called the, uh, the Renaissance Minority Male Mentoring Program. And it was mm-hmm. like founded off of the effort of retention of black males in in school. So I definitely feel you with that, man. So I think it's good that you're, you're what's the word I'm looking for? You're just building. You like, you, uh, one of my, one of my guys is like brick by brick. That's like his little mantra, mm-hmm. man. And I think it's good how you're building up everything. And it really feels aligned with, uh, it's yeah. Matter of fact, let me ask you this. So, like, what what's like? What do you want to do, sir? Like, you know what I'm saying? What do you want to do? Yeah, you know, um, growing up, I always said I wanted to be president of the United States. I remember um, that you used to say that at church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember you said it at church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's been my goal since you know I was maybe like eight or nine years old. Um, as I get older, though, I do see you know some some shifts. Like, it's definitely not like my major career aspiration right now. 
Um, right now, I just see myself wanting to make a difference. Like, mm-hmm. I love doing the work that I'm doing now, whether it's on campus or, you know, working in state government on the Crime Commission or the Safer Schools Task Force I'm also on or back home in Kinston. Like, I know yeah. that I'm making a tangible difference in my community. Like, you can literally, um, you know, see some of the changes that I've been a part of, and I'm so proud of that. Like, riding down some streets and seeing that there was once a vacant and blighted property there that our organizations helped yeah. really, you know, redesign and retransform yeah, or man. being able to say that on the crime commission that I helped, you know, divert millions of dollars of funding into juvenile justice programs in the state of North Carolina. So like being able to have a tangible, meaningful impact in your community time means out. so much. Time out. Hold on. Hold on, bro. That ain't no regular thing, bro. <laughs> that ain't regular, man. We got, you got to take a pause for a little bit, man. You did what on the crime commission? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um in in 2016 i got appointed by our, our then governor pat mccrory to the north carolina governor's crime commission and the crime commission is our state body that oversees the governor um, the secretary of public safety um on all issues relating to crime justice and law enforcement in the state of north carolina so uh, we help them advise on policy issues uh, where different funding priorities when we when the state gets funding from the federal government where that funds where those funds get distributed whether that's to local law enforcement agencies or community organizations or juvenile justice programs um, that's basically what the the crime commission role is so um, I was appointed by Governor McCrory in 2016 in that position then reappointed um, once Governor Cooper got elected to the position again in 2018. And, you know, for a long time, I was the youngest person on the commission. So there was finally another young person, uh, um, I believe she's 18 now, 18 now, 18 year old girl who got appointed last year. Cool. But um, it means so much for me as a young person to be in a, a major state role like that. And, you know, that's been some of my work actually making sure that, you know, millions of dollars in funding gets prioritized in juvenile justice programs. Like, I don't want to see our police departments keep getting militarized and having access to, you know, riot gear and tanks and tear gas and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, if we want to really reduce crime in our communities, if we want to make our community safer, we need to be make sure that we're, you know, investing in mentoring programs and you know, investing in restorative justice programs and things like that. Um, something else I had the honor of being a part of was just last year, we finally changed North Carolina's law where 16 and 17 year olds are no longer prosecuted as adults. So they now get to be prosecuted as juveniles. Uh, for a long time, if you were 16 years old and you even you know, committed a, a petty crime like stealing from a grocery store or something, you were prosecuted as an adult, uh, where now you're now being prosecuted as a juvenile. So you have access to juvenile court services wow. rather than going to jail or getting a, a charge on the record for the rest of your yeah. life. Um, you get access to mentoring programs and rehabilitation programs rather than have this permanent, permanent scar on your record. Man. Hey, Chris, I think that's amazing because it's like when you're in that age bracket, man, there's so many different factors going on that could influence you to do something you know what i'm saying and it's just like mm-hmm. like you said to have for a decision at that such a a young age to hover over you you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that's yeah that's awesome man that's awesome i'm trying not to say dope too much that's my go-to word man i'm trying i'll try <laughs> no, no i'll try hey look man uh shoot what else man i just oh oh i know what i want to talk to you about i know exactly what i want to talk to you about man Bro, you met Michelle Obama. That's not, that's crazy. How, what, what was that? How did that even happen? What was that like? And then how long did it take you to get out of that? Yo, is this really happening moment? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, meeting Michelle Obama was definitely, you know, it's been a highlight of my, I guess I can call it my professional career now. Like this is, you know, doing real work. And, um, you know, that happened right around the end of the Obama administration, the White House. So at the end of, 2016 beginning of 2017 
um, I got invited to be a part of her Better Make Room campaign, which was one of her education initiatives um, during her time in the White House, but she wanted to really focus on after that. Um, and the mission of Better Make Room was to help students get excited about college and get prepared to go to college and get through college. So um, even some of the things that I'm still working on at Chapel Hill in regards to like admission and retention, those are some of the focus areas for the Better Make Room campaign. So it really connected. But um, I got to serve as a youth advisor for that campaign. And um, I was invited to the White House for her last and final event as first lady, her last remarks in the White House and um, got to, you know, give her a big hug and, you know, call her my aunt Shell. So that was truly, a, you know, a moving, a moving event for me and then be able to continue working with her in the Better Make Room campaign for about a year after that. So even after she left the White House, we were still in touch. I was able to meet her again and do some other work with her and the organization. So um, that's definitely been a been a, a monumental thing in my life. Too. Dude. Kinston in the White House, man. What that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy, man. That's that's awesome. That's awesome for real. Um, shoot, dude. Hey, so before, um, before we get off, cause we really about this about it, man. This this been a I got to digest all this. This is it's been a lot. This is cool though. Um, just I'm gonna probably edit this. I can't even think of no question. You got something you want to talk about, man? Yeah, uh, I can't think of much else. I know we covered a lot. Yeah, um, you know, I can just say, you know, you know, this is the work doesn't stop. And, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate another part of our conversation about like how this is now, you know, the perfect time for us to really think big about what we want society to look like, what we want our communities to look like. And that's something I've always done. Like, you know, even growing up in Kent, you know, seeing abandoned properties and our struggling downtown, our struggling mall and seeing the immense potential that those spaces and those, you know, parts of our community have, um, that's always been me. I've always been a big dreamer, a big thinker. And I think right now with all this uncertainty in the world, it, it's really inspiring and pushing people to also be big thinkers and big dreamers. And that's that's what we need from, you know, whether you're just a regular person who watches the news or sees what's happening, or if you're a person elected to serve us in city council or state legislature, things like that, um, you know, it's time for us to really think big and think radical. Like, We've realized that, you know, for the, you know, around 250 years of this country's existence that, you know, we've really kept things as normal and normal hasn't really been good for us. But, you know, some of the best changes that have happened have happened because of the fact that people thought bigger than usual, because people pushed their leaders to do absolute most, because people had revolutions and looted property and poured pee and I mean, not pee, um, poured tea into the Boston Harbor and the Boston Tea Party. Like, you know, it's because people took radical changes that we have some of the best improvements in our society. So um, that's what I'm doing right now is just continue to think big. Um, I have some things lined up that we're currently working on in Kinston, even in the midst of this pandemic and a lot of our organizations not really being able to come together. We're still working hard. We're still dreaming big. And um, you'll definitely be seeing more of us in the next few months. Got you, man. It sounds great. So before we uh, sign off, man, I want to talk about a couple more things. So. In the midst of everything going on, you had the pleasure of being in Raleigh during the protest that got a lot of uh, national attention, man. So what, what, you know, what, what went down down there, man? What was going on? Yeah. So um, the protest, yeah, it's definitely, I don't know if pleasure is the word, yeah. but it's been interesting, <laughs> you know, this last week, the, the unrest in the streets. And, you know, when I saw that there was being a, a protest being organized in downtown Raleigh, you know, I just knew I needed yeah. to be at it. You know, it was a risk because, you know, this entire time during this pandemic, I've, you know, been one of those strong stay-at-home, safe-to-safe people. 
Um, the most I've been out is like to yeah. the grocery store. So uh, I've been trying to really protect my peace, protect my health and everything. But, you know, I was like, dang, if, you know, you have people like George Floyd, when they do go out of the house, getting killed by the police or Breonna Taylor police, you know, coming yeah. into her house and shooting her in her sleep. Like I need to be in the streets. Like I'm risking my life one way or, the no- one way or another. So I decided to go out to the protest yeah. in Raleigh and it was, it was so many folks, so many feelings, so many emotions about that protest. Like we went there, we got there probably about three o'clock on Saturday, on Saturday afternoon. And it was a huge crowd, like so many people from different backgrounds, so many young people, like so many of my friends and college students from across the state um, were there. And that was really amazing about just seeing the power that young people have. And we marched all around downtown for several hours. And I would say probably around seven o'clock that night or so, that's when the energy really just started to change a lot. And um, at one point there, it was really, um, escalated, not necessarily by some black protesters or any black folks out there, the organizers of the event, but we happened to walk past some police from the Wake County Jail, and a group of white people started throwing water bottles at the police, and the police immediately started dispersing tear gas. So um, that was a crazy experience, something I never planned on, never wanted to. I don't think anybody planned on wanting to experience, but actually getting tear, tear gas by the police. So, um, you know, we immediately start running, trying to catch your breath, trying to make sure nothing's in your eyes. Um, so that was a crazy experience. And unfortunately, things got worse. We started seeing, you know, more um, just a lot of white folks, whether on our side side or, um, you know, from more extremist organizations. So we started seeing white people out there with Confederate flags and waving their, you know, assault rifles oh, and things. Wow. So there were a lot of white folks escalating things. And then the police, um, a lot of times, escalating things. There was a point where as the crowd is moving in one direction, the police are trying to like kind of corral the crowd and keep us from marching around downtown. Even though we're marching peacefully, they wanted us to really stop and disperse, which, you know, completely circumvents and counters the point of a protest. So um, it was just so many feelings, so many emotions. I love the fact that we were able to get out there and demand for justice, that we were able to be a part of this movement that's spreading across the country and across the world. But I hate the way, you know, it's been really depicted in the news as something that protesters are, escalating yeah. things and not the fact that it's really some extremist people out there escalating things and our own police forces that are escalating things man when when i realized like watching the news and everything when i realized that that was happening i was like yo this is crazy like this is this sound this sounds crazy um i know that was like i know that was scary being in the midst of all of that because it's, it's you know people people mm-hmm. you don't ever know how people gonna act man honestly right uh, yeah, it was definitely scary. Um, you know, I had so many feelings. I was like, you know, it, it's scary to be out there. It's also scary to end up, you know, having a police encounter in general. So if I can be a part of something to try to, you know, make a difference in what's happening, that's where I wanted to be. And I'm really glad I went out because it, it gave me so much hope and so much inspiration and, you know, the power to, you know, that very, what, two days later, um, help organize the protest in yeah. Kingston. So we had probably about three or 400 people. We organized in downtown Kingston to come and protest in front of our courthouse. So that was really moving as well to be a part of that. Then that night I came back up and went to the protest in Durham that very same yeah. night. And then later on the week on Friday, we organized another protest in Chapel Hill. So, you know, this this movement is something that we're just going to have to keep keep, keep fighting, moving, keep continuing, no matter how much the media tries to yeah. put on the narrative that it's looting and riots and aimless and stuff. I wouldn't say that this is an aimless mm-hmm. protest or aimless mm-hmm. movement or even the people that are riot rioting or, you know, rebelling and, you know, taking property and stuff. I wouldn't say it's aimless. They're doing this because they're demanding justice, even in the most extreme yeah. ways. And I think going to those extreme lengths sometimes is what's necessary. Man. 
Again, another example of these questions. I mean, these answers, man. Uh, one one other thing, man. Uh, I want to tell. I saw that you went down to Fayetteville to mm-hmm. jo- to uh, George Floyd's funeral, and because he was he was uh, he was born in Fayetteville, correct? Man, right. so correct. what what was like? You know, obviously it's a funeral, so I understand. You know, mm-hmm. but just what was that experience like? You know, because. In a in a lot of people's eyes, and for me, he's a what you would consider a martyr in a sense by for for what is happening right now. So, what was it kind of like being in that in that space? Yeah. Um. So yeah, being at George Floyd's funeral on Saturday in Fayetteville was yeah that was a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that you know it was his not just not his death but his really unjust yeah. killing that just sparked. Um, moving has woken so many people up. Um, and I posted a few tweets about this on Twitter the other day about how at one point in the service, the preacher was giving his sermon and he talked about the story of Lazarus in the Bible. And, you know, um, Lazarus died. Lazarus was like Jesus's friend and cousin. And, um, you know, Jesus said, you know, he's going to, it's, it's not a problem. You know, he was, he wept, he was sad, but it's not a problem because, you know, now he's going to perform this miracle and re- resurrect Lazarus and more people are going to believe in the power of Jesus. Mm. And the, the preacher likened this to saying that, you know, George Floyd died and, you know, it's so sad and it's very unfortunate. But, you know, the, the result of that is so many people around this country are now being woken up to the issue of, of police brutality and police violence and are believing in their own power to make a difference. Like that's that's I think is representative of all the protests we've seen all across Shoot, the country. Across the world. So many people believe in our power to make a difference. So. I'm glad that, you know, that we are now in a position where people are making a difference. And, you know, what I hope is that George Floyd's death was not in vain, that his killing was not in vain, that we actually make some change happen. There are no more George Floyds and Breonna Taylors and Ahmaud Arbery's that we actually work so hard to really dismantle these systems and this society fabric of white supremacy that is killing us almost every day. Man. You keep I I don't know how to follow up to that man. All right, well look, that was a great. I I agree with you. I I um, I think I think it's really um significant that you were able to ex to see and witness and experience all of these things, man. Because you know, I feel like God works through everybody. You know what I'm saying? He work he's working through everybody, and so it's like you seeing this, you being involved in these things, you know, it's normally for the blessings of others anyway, man. So I think it's really amazing that you was a part of all that. And, um, dude, before we, before we sign off, man, uh, anybody hearing this that, or, or seeing this slash seeing this, that, that hasn't, um, you know, been able to tap in with you yet. Uh, can you, you know, tell people uh, how to connect with you online and how to, uh, connect and get information about Kingston teams? Yeah, so um, definitely, you know, feel free to stay in touch with me and the organization. Reach out if I can help with anything or if you want to support us. Um, my name is Chris J. Suggs on every platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. So definitely, you know, connect with me, you know, shoot me a message, follow me, whatever. Um, then also our organization is simply Kempston Teams on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. So, you know, definitely follow us, stay in touch with what we're doing. Um, you know, whenever we have major events, even, you know, during this pandemic, as safe as possible, we do love to have additional volunteers from the community helping us or if you just want to sow a seed and support what we're doing you know 
my motto is an investment in young people is an investment in the future. So, you know, feel free to donate to our organization, support what we're doing, because you'll definitely see ret- returns on your investment when it comes to this society. Mm-mm-mm. Well, that is all, folks, for the Inside Special. I really appreciate y'all tuning in um, and listening in to this conversation. I hope you all got something to gain something from it uh, that helped you uh, move forward or gave you some level of inspiration. Uh, we will be back on schedule for uh, the Inside the Lab podcast tomorrow on Tuesday at 9 p.m. So please be on the lookout for that. Uh, until then, um, for Inside the Lab and everything Trinity Labs, be sure to follow us um, on Instagram at Trinity Labs. Uh, again, much love to my man Chris. And until next time, peace. <laughs>